This is the Convergent Science Network podcast. Leading researchers in the domain of neuroscience, brain theory and technology are interviewed by Paul Verschur and Tony Prescott. We're ready to roll. Okay, it's Paul Verschur with the Convergent Science Network together with uh, Tony Prescott. And our, our guest today is uh, Yaki Setti, who was speaking at the uh, BCBT Summer School on actually synthetically building different kinds of organs. So, so Yaki, how, how do we build a synthetic organ? Well, first we have to know the biology. Mm-hmm. We have to know what, what God created or what biology created in, to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. We need to know the biology better than the biologist and better than the biology knows itself mm-hmm. because we need to reconstruct it. So in a way, not in, I don't want to sound uh, too sophisticated, but we're playing, we're playing kind of creator. Mm-hmm. We create something. We use the computer as a platform to play with the data, put the data into the computer and play with it. Mm-hmm. And we know what the desire, the, the desire output is. We don't know all about it, but we know if something is missing, we will see it, that the output will be wrong. Mm-hmm. So that's the... But no, this doesn't just happen by accident, right? It's not that you just have, let's say, a random set of ingredients like some big minestrone, and out of that comes an organ like a pancreas. So so the first example you discussed was to to construct, to really grow in silico a pancreas. And and then you showed to us that 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 model of the the developed pancreas uh, shared many features with a biological pancreas. So how do you... what, what? so the pancreas is actually built from different kinds of cells, right? And, and the morphology of the structure will change over time in some developmental process. So how do we exactly model that? What are the, what are the, how do you model such a cell? Uh, and how do, they, how do these cells then collectively form something that you could call a pancreas? So in each cell, you put the biological data from the papers. So you have uh, a block diagram, which blocks and, uh, and arrows. And each arrow is a transit between the two states of the of the block. So you take the cell and you define the state it may be in. And this is correlated to the biology. Mm-hmm. You have to justify every block and every arrow you put mm-hmm. in this uh, in this diagram. So for your cell model, how many states can the cell attain? Well, it depends which model it is. The pancreas model it's the most complicated and it had over than 150 uh, states all mm-hmm. over. Uh, the number of the differentiated dif- differentiation state was, I believe, like 10, mm-hmm. which is more or less the number of, uh, the number of uh, markers mm-hmm. that the biologists uh, found. So mm-hmm. for each uh, state or stage, the biologists mm-hmm. have defined, we have a state in our mm-hmm. differentiation component. And it's the same for other components in the system. For example, the proliferation component has five states, which it, it is correlated with the five stages mm-hmm. of cell cycle. So we are trying to, to put into the model uh, and to formulate as many biological data as possible uh, and to be able to ju- justify everything. For example, if we put an assumption or an error or a block di- in the diagram, so each one of it, of this, we have to, we are able to say, okay, this data was taken from this paper, mm-hmm. and that's why we constrain the model to be biologically plausible mm-hmm. or argue, accurate or at least justified. Mm-hmm. 
Right, but then, so we have the cell. The cell can have a large number of states. The, then there are certain inputs to that cell that will make it actually decide which state it attains. Now, that transformation of inputs to the state expressed, that's more like a logical lookup table. Like if my inputs have the following characteristics, then in a deterministic fashion, I turn into state one. Or is that transfer function following more the kind of messenger systems that you would find within a cell? Yeah, it is temporal uh, mm -hmm. decision. It's based on time and space. Mm -hmm. You will get uh, some kind of message at a certain point if you are exactly at the same po at the certain position and has the same uh, a specific uh, message. Mm -hmm. So it is deterministic in that kind of. Uh, that kind of perspective. If you see, if you look at the individual cell, mm -hmm. but if you look at the at the population level, you will see that a lot of uh, different, uh, a lot of stochastic decisions mm -hmm. are made. For example, if cell number one had made the decision at one point, and cell number number two made the decision at another point, and they switch roles, so your simulation will be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. It is equivalent to two people, two two embryos, two human beings that are. All of us have two hands, have two eyes, have one head, two legs, but still there is a lot of variety, and part of it is the the genetic uh, the genetic uh, issue that we take mm -hmm. with us, and part of it is part of the, our development. So this is why two brothers are not the same, and even identical twins are not mm -hmm. identical. Right. So I mean, your <coughs> your model of a cell is a kind of informational model where you describe the states it can be in. The kind of switches that within it, whether the switches uh, can be thrown back, and so on, and it, it's sensitive both to external, uh, I guess, uh, ke chemicals that can affect the the membrane and therefore change the internal state, but also internal mechanisms that can that can throw switches. Does that summarize it? Yes, that's more or less it. Uh, the, yeah. the cell itself, uh, we we look at this as a three component: the component of the cell, and a component of external sensors which we call the membrane or the effectors and there, or the receptors. And there are the effector. It's not only the genetic one. It's not only genes. It can be genes in different states. So that would summarize it nicely. And, and uh, the specific thing that, that's exciting about this, of course, is that you can uh, model stem cells, uh, which have the exciting property that they can turn into other kinds of cells. Yeah, they can differentiate. So um, perhaps you could, because... Uh, this audience of BCBT uh, uh, is, is mainly interested in, in, in neuron cells. Perhaps you could fill us in a bit more about the different kinds of stem cells and what we know about them. Well, uh, it depends. Uh, okay, stem cells in, in uh, the core of stem cell research is cells that can differentiate and proliferate and keep their own, carry their own data. But uh, lately, uh, a lot of research was done and they claimed that stem cells, this and naive definition is not enough. And uh, there is a notion of stemsness. It's kind of how much stem this cell is. And it means that even in a growth tree, if it can differentiate to three different, uh, three different uh, uh, cells or can get any kind of uh, cell like the embryo cell, like the zygote, the first cell is the, like the original cell. And um, this is more or less the the new notion of stem cells. But the original one is uh, is a is a cell population that can maintain themselves, 
maintain itself and differentiate. And all, in almost any organ, you can find stem cells. And even you can, t uh, I understand that you can take <coughs> cells which aren't stem cells, and by stressing them, I think I heard this about blood cells, was it? You could maybe yeah. turn them back into stem cells. Well, I don't like the term turn them back. You, right. can, you can turn them into you can turn yeah. You can turn the, the stemness mechanism of the cells on. They start to behave like a stem cells. Right. Yeah. And so the behaviors of the cells in your model, can you just summarize the, the things yeah, that so they can do? They, are, they, they, okay. they can do the two, the two most important mechanisms of uh, differentiating. They can go from one state to variety of state. There is kind of an, an, a tree of decision that the cell can make. And in parallel, orthogonal component would be to, uh, to proliferate. They can create new instance of the same cell. And this is enough to this is enough to maintain a stem cell population, but in our model there is an additional um, requirement, and this is uh, their uh, position in space. They can move to to another place. This is how we can create structure of organs, and we can create uh, different population. And um, as we have a front end, we visualize the model. You can see it. The user can view it and can interact with it. Sometimes you can even say, okay, I want cell number five, six, and seven to be erased for the simulation and see what's going on or to change the environmental uh, effector at runtime. So at the at the larval stage or when, when the, the model is young, it's not an adult yet, I want to keep the... I want to keep the environment as it should be, but at some point I want to decide that, okay, after three days I want to change the environment, I want to inject a new material, I want to, to kill some of 10% of the cell, and then to see what the simulation suggests the result will be. Right, so, th so your model consists of an, a number of uh, initial cells, maybe even just one, and then an environment in which the cell lives. Yeah. Uh, and it's communicating with the environment and with each other uh, and with each other yeah so uh, in terms of the the movement of the cell it's able to do things like move up gradients uh, uh, chemical gradients and so yeah, on yeah it senses yeah. the gradients in your environment and so, can move towards so the can you just summarize what the environment looks like from the point of view of simulation so you have chemical gradients in it for instance would you have physical structures beyond that yeah okay the environment is divided into voxels three dimensional uh, pixels, boxes in the space, and inside there is a gradient of chemicals that exist in each, in each part. In many cases, the, the decision what are the values is based on the uh, differential equations that, uh, that determine it, determine the, the value, and uh, it changes over time. So the environment itself is a model of, of its own. Then in each one of these voxels, there is a cell or sphere that senses what what are the chemicals in the in the atmosphere or in the surrounding environment and act based on that. This this concept is inspired by um, it's a rather old concept that wasn't uh, that didn't get a lot of attention in science. It's called autonomous agent. Right. Autonomous agent is taken out of artificial intelligence during the sixties. They defined this concept as a machine, an object, or agent that uh, interact with this environment and decide on its next move based on the, its, its current state and the environment. So you consider the whole model to be an agent-based model? 
It's, uh, it's agent-based and it's autonomous agent-based model as adapted to biology. This is a, like the computer science view of the, of the models, yeah. So the, the first model you described was um, to, to replicate the pancreas. Um, uh, and historically, that was your first model, or yeah, that yeah. was the first model. And and what was the specific sort of scientific question that led you and the group <laughs> you're in to to think that the pancreas was a good place to go for this? Well, I I wanted to study about the diabetes, and I start research about the diabetes, and then I got to the organ that is controlling the diabetes, and then my view was that you can't study the the organ without knowing the process that. Uh, the process that brought him to this uh, state, and you need to understand the structure and what how it was formed. So you should need to start by the first day where the organ develops in order to understand what went wrong by the end. And if you if you notice during the lecture, I haven't even talked about the the diabetes, right? Because we didn't get this far. Right. There were a lot of of open questions, a lot of interesting questions that just emerges as we go. But I envision that models like that will cover the whole process, including the functionality in the end. And then you can uh, study diseases and everything. And you can track all the way back to the history and see if something went wrong on day F, uh, day zero and affected what we see at day 100. And I guess uh, many of these the diseases that you're interested in have a genetic component, which perhaps you'll then be able to recreate uh, in the model once the model is sufficiently complete. Yes, but it's not only the genetic break, right. uh, background. It's, sure. it's like the, the thing that the organ experienced and caused this, uh, this disease. How far does the model have to develop before you'll be able to ask these kinds of questions with it? Uh, it still have like... Uh, right now it covers all the... All the the development till uh, birth. This is 15 days, and it, we need to add uh, expression of the of the of the factors of the of the hormones to that, and then we can investigate it. So, I believe in a few years time. So we're, we're, you're close to well, having something that would be having something useful to disease model. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, well, we are close to have um, kind of a complete model but it doesn't necessarily mean that we know everything we need. Because once you finished modeling the, the organ and added all the functionality, you still need to verify that it is consistent with biology. So at so. A, each stage when you're developing the model, you, you're using some uh, data from the biology to test the functionality. Uh, for instance, I think you were you're showing with the pancreas, you're showing what happens uh, what, with the interaction with blood vessels and how the model produce similar outputs to uh, what people observed in experiments. Um, and uh, th that methodology whereby you take these biological data and use them to, to test the validity of the model, uh, I mean, do you consider that the, the methodology that you have there is you know, finalized, fully refined? I mean, how do you know when you've done enough tests or how do you know that uh, or it's open-ended, I guess. Yeah, you, you never have enough tests yeah. because the data keeps streaming into into your desktop. So there are more papers published, and there is new data, and you have right. to refine the models as much as you need. Okay, so but I guess there's another way of putting that: was what's the minimal set of sort of 
biological constraints that you you feel you need in order to say that the yeah. model is is useful. If if you manage to reproduce the biology and uh, a few mutations, so it's not enough to have the biology reproduced. You still need to show that you agree right. with the known data, and then you can use it for prediction. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm th- I'm thinking sort of. Uh, when people are building a machine learning system, for instance, something that uh, would l- learn to recognize uh, spoken language and create written language, uh, then they might take a, a data set and, and use half of it for training, half of it for testing. I mean, uh, do, do, uh, do you use those kind of methodologies of deliberately leaving out some no. some of the data? I, no. mean, would that... I, would, I would include all the data right, and then start testing. But is is there a risk then that uh, your model isn't sufficiently well? You, you, in order to you can build the model to fit those data, but then you don't have enough test points to really check whether the yeah, model you should not, is. You should get. I believe that you should get all the available data into your model, right. then start taking the next step and see if you if you can get more data once you have the model. Would that be because? That you need that you need what data there is to constrain the model yes. and build it. And I think that the difference is that I'm working with biology, right. and leaving out some of the biological data is makes no sense. So if the, you know an yeah. evidence on the on the system, you must agree with it. What can be done is that uh, that experiments that were done in the past, and you are not aware of, or you prefer to test to keep them as a test case that can be done but for the for the the wild type simulation you can't leave data out so the the data set wouldn't be sufficiently rich for this kind of uh, to have two sets of data one which you no. used to build the model one which you could use to test no. in analogy we can say that uh, you take the wild type data yeah, yeah. the type of the normal growth a normal uh, development right and you test the mutations yes yeah so that's that's a separation you can do and that's what you're but doing with the yeah, models that's what right. i'm doing with the models but you can take the the existing data and say roughly this i keep out and this i keep in you have to keep something in mind before you do it and i think this separation of mutation and uh, real data can be can be equivalent to what you described so to to th- come back a bit to the cell model that that we're using and, and naively you might think about that you might model a cell as let's say an autonomous entity with a membrane that sort of is 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 motile it moves through some substrate it might have interactions with other cells adhere to it and so on but in the simulation that's not really what a cell is right in the simulation the cells in the end defined operationally as the state of uh, a little volume of space, right? So you ha- you take the whole volume in w- that you want to simulate and you, you sort of cut it up in a lot of little cubes and then what you call a cell is the state of each of those cubes. Well, it depends how you... No, no, I, I don't like this way of, of looking. I disagree with it because uh, there, are, there are a lot of empty cubes. Mm-hmm. What type of cell is that? Is that the null cell? Mm-hmm. You can. Well, you, you can, tell me, right? No, <laughs> I don't believe in the null cell. A okay, cell okay. is an, an existing entity. Mm-hmm. A null cell or a null, mm-hmm. uh, null object can be a mathematically defined uh, 
uh, object, mm -hmm. but it can't be a biological. Sure, but but in like. terms of the, the, the caricature I gave of of the, the the technical approach, the implementation is is I think reasonably accurate. Yes, in terms it, of implementation. It, it, the implementation right? you can look at that. Right. Uh, that you can look at it that way, but you'll have to add the the temporal uh, component. Into of course, it. no, no. So then it's kind of you can sure. think of it as a as a. A kind of a three-dimensional space or two-dimensional mm -hmm. space divided into cubes mm -hmm. or pixels, and right. it changes over time. And uh, so it's like a three-dimensional cellular automaton. Yes, you can think about it as a collection of three-dimensional mm -hmm. cellular automaton. Right, but then we, we have chosen to separate between the environment mm -hmm. and the cell, mm -hmm. and this is because this is how it acts in biology. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to me to it's, okay. It's it's like say. Uh, it's like saying you're not a human being, you are kind of a pixel, and you are just moving from one pic one mm -hmm. place to another. But no, that's not the truth. That's not the case. If if you're doing something, if we are talking or something, there is something be behind this action. We're not just talk talking, we're having conversation. Mm -hmm. You say something, I reply. Uh, so to think about it just as uh, movement and things in the in the space i think it will be simplification mm -hmm. of uh, of reality but yes if you prefer to see the the technology challenge no, or but, the, the but implementation just to define yes. what we're doing right because we're interpreting the outcome of an algorithm mm -hmm. right and the algorithm is just if you want deciding what state a certain voxel in that in that simulation should take a certain little bit of of uh, the three-dimensional volume and then w with that, you model these, these, these systems, these organs or C. elegans and the brain. These are the three examples yeah. we looked at. So then the question becomes, okay, when is then such a simulation, let's say, defendable? When is it plausible? When is it um, not more our interpretation as opposed to what's really going on in the simulation, right? So for the pancreas, you showed us that we have to look at a system that essentially at, at the stage in development your modeling expresses three cell types right and these three three yeah. cell types cluster in very specific forms no and then what you want to recover in your simulation is again the generation of these three cell types and this kind of clustering is that is that correct yeah, that's correct okay and, and then i could argue well um and then the structuring of this pancreas was then also very much predicated of the role as, as you told us on on the role of the of the blood vessels Right, that's sort of the blood vessels providing some sort of scaffold, in which that very much guides the the the, the coagulation of the cells. Yeah. yeah? So, but then you, we but might. But this is a well-known biological fact. It's not something that we. Sure. No. no. But you could still argue the biologists were not really able to tell you yet how this then happened in all its details. Right. Mm -hmm. How sort of let's say specific parameters might affect this. But then you could, as we saw earlier, right? Your cells, as you said, have dozens, hundreds of states. Um, large populations of them give rise to specific structures. But what we try to explain are the three cell types of the pancreas forming, okay, uh, like cauliflower type structures. So I could say, well, this is a super powerful model. You have so many parameters you can play with. This can ever. This can never go wrong. You you should yeah. always hit the jackpot with that, right? Yes, but um, well, all the parameters in the model are constrained by bi biology. Mm -hmm. So 
I believe that what is in the model, it's in the biology. So maybe the biology is superpower model. Mm -hmm. You can think about it. it. It's right because you can find the pathways in, in cellular decision mm -hmm. that you can bypass. You have a few pathways that leads to the same, mm -hmm. to the same uh, result. So let's ignore the model and think about the biology. Mm -hmm. Why the biology have two paths that go, uh, goes to the same destination? Mm -hmm. So another way yeah. of validating the model is to uh, create variants of it which don't fit the biological data. So just take the, the one which you think is accurate and flip a few of the arrows or whatever and see if they do anything similar. Uh, and that would tell you how how valid it is to say that that specific model is needed to generate the data that you see. Now, in some sense, that's what you're doing when you get your mutations, because but then you're saying this is an actual uh, mutation that happens in nature, and I can see what happens in the model. But have you done experiments where you just flip uh, components or leave components out and see yes, how that Yes, yes of course. Um, uh, one of the first ex uh, ex uh, experiment in silico experiment we did was just to take the nucleus, the, the inner decision of the cell, and just m make a big spaghetti, like uh, Erdos, uh, Erdos way of uh, testing, taking the arrows and connect them randomly to other states mm. and to see what's going on, like the craziest stuff. It's just like taking the DNA and just uh, take the the um, take the operon and point it to, to express a different gene, just like a crazy scientist did. And yes, uh, this disabled everything in the in the simulation, but at least it's proven that the, that data is really right. necessary for the the modeling. Uh, but what I what I'm trying to say, and maybe I'm not clear enough, we are trying that the models will be realistic as possible, and to take off a pathway or take off genes just because we don't understand what they do, or there are other genes that mm -hmm. that do the same that does the same. I wouldn't recommend that because then mm -hmm. you might miss point in mm -hmm. the model. The idea is to put into the model as many biological data as possible, not the minimal one. Well, but there, there are two, so there are two issues for me on this, right? On the one hand, how do you really quantify a, a cauliflower, right? So in some sense, in the presentation, it was, a, it was a bit more sort of by eye, like, well, so it looks sort of similar, right? Mm. And I think we would all agree that, that we can do better than that, yeah. right? And also, on top of that, cauliflowers have fractal-like structures, which raises interesting questions about about development, right, and morphogenesis. So, so how then do you really quantify that similarity between the structure that you see in in your simulation and that that you find in in biology? It's not easy. I I haven't life found is it. hard. You life know? is hard. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and one of the hurdles in this this issue is that there are not that many uh, that many data, biological data. It's not that I can ask you ask a biologist, please give me how many cells there are in this cauliflower mm -hmm. and what are the fractals. And this will be a very naive way to see the to see the experiments. Usually, that's what we get. That's the data. We, that no, we but get still, here. in the literature, you will all find <coughs> these characterized. There will be images, there will be microscopic analysis, electromicroscopy, right? There will be different levels of you analysis. You will hardly find it in mice. You will find it in, I think, mm -hmm. I didn't come across too many. Or, that, that for instance, you might have the inter-cauliflower spacing. Yes, what, what I did, for example, is... Uh, doing some of uh, image analysis, trying to compare 
mm-hmm. uh, not exactly the population, but to split between uh, between the color mm-hmm. of the, the the domains of the color, uh, how many pixels carry red color and mm-hmm. how many green colored uh, pixels there are in histology mm-hmm. picture, and to compare it with the cell count in the simulation. So it's kind of making. Okay, but you're saying you couldn't really do that yet because <coughs> the data wasn't there. The data is not there. But the data which is very dirty in this. Uh, this uh, okay, but which parameter in your model would, for instance, control the intercauliflower spacing? There is no single parameter. Okay. There are a few parameters, and mm-hmm. all related to the biology. For example, the the flow of the the, the gradient of the 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 gradient. That of the blood vessels mm-hmm. secreting the the factors mm-hmm. in the environment mm-hmm. that would be a very important uh, a very important parameter and indeed when we played with this parameter we see that we we generated a lot of different uh, structures that may and may not be mm-hmm. correct but this is something to be tested in the future when we can control the blood vessel uh, uh, the way the blood vessel secretes mm-hmm. uh, factors to the environment right so then, after the after the pancreas, uh, we looked at the C. elegans, right? And and there in particular, you looked at the hermaphrodites who are basically producing other C. elegans by mm. cell fertilization. And that C. elegans, the way you describe it to us, works a bit like a sausage machine, right? So you have sort of stem cells generating the cells that move through the body. Um, they then sort of get transformed into into eggs or a new stage, and then they pass through a sperm phase, or they got merged with sperm, and then there you have they get your fertilized. Then yeah. you have your fertilized. But it's egg, it's right? not it is part big part of the C. elegans, mm-hmm. this uh, reproductive uh, organ. Sure, but it's not all of it. It still have a neuron system and uh, mm-hmm. locomotive system. Right. But but you sort of you, you model this sausage machine that sort of is is, is is spitting out if you want these new yes, C elegans. Yes, this right? is the gonad. This yeah. is the reproductive exactly. organ of the C elegans. And so, which elements of the simulation of the pancreas could you carry over to this C elegans system? Well, by by means of platform, I use the same platform. Principles more and I, the I, same principle was implemented which is and the the way we construct Mm -hmm. the cell and uh, the cell different uh, components the the nucleus and the membrane and all the autonomous uh, agent concept we discussed Mm -hmm. earlier was just adopted to Mm -hmm. to this uh, model we had to change the name of the genes Mm -hmm. But this is basically it, and the but, connections but, but between the, blocks, the states. All the blocks are yeah. yeah, and yeah. The, the way they affect each other. So if we think of about it as a graph, we just had a different graph between the nodes and mm-hmm. the arrows. But I would assume that also the number of states of the cells would yes. be changed. Yes, okay. yes. If, if in the pancreas we had like 100, 120 states in the cell against, we had like 20, mm-hmm. which is like five, five times less. Mm-hmm. So in, in the environment in which the C. elegans is growing, uh, what is that environment? How, because the pancreas is growing in a very different kind of environment from, from a... Yeah, so, yes. For example, uh, in, the, in the pancreas model, we had blood vessel, very complicated uh, network of blood vessels. In the C. elegans, it's very easy. To, at the tip cell, there is one cell that secretes... Uh, a factor to the environment. That's it. So it was much easier to get an accurate, a more accurate description of it. 
and it was even modeled as a as a um, using ordinary ordinary differential equation at the stationary uh, phase so it's just like a chemical that is being uh, secreted in a gradient right it is much easier to capture so it's like one cell of the blood vessels of the pancreas model yes it's it's much easier and this is why it was much easier to generate um, good uh, good prediction or mm-hmm. testable predictions while in the pancreas every mm-hmm. prediction I had had to wait like five years until the until the biologists find the right technique to mm-hmm. test it in C elegance it was tested within weeks but now in the pancreas I think the The benchmark was very much the morphology of the structure. That's yeah. correct, right? So what would be that benchmark for C. elegans? Uh, I think it's... Okay. It's more accuracy because most of the... Mo- if, if in the pancreas model, I had to, to use a lot of hand-waving and say, okay, look, this is similar. In the C. elegans model, I can talk exactly about... The, the lengths of areas and the lengths of zone and number of cells and cell cycle. Mm-hmm. And indeed, out of all this refinement, fine-tuning of the model, it turns out, for, for example, even in the, in, the, in, the, in the small details, what is the different cell cycle between the adult and the, mm-hmm. and the young, uh, the young uh, C. elegans? During development, what is the difference? Uh, what is the ratio between the cell cycle at the two phases? And we suggested in the model one to five, mm-hmm. and then biologists think it's one to three point five. So it's at the same range, mm-hmm. and we didn't take it into account. We just uh, try to make it as realistic as possible and to calibrate it with time. Mm-hmm. And this all. Tiny detail just emerged. So that would mean in, in for C. elegans, the benchmark is more like what kind of cells do you have in C. elegans and what position at what point in time? And the number of cells. Sure, yeah, and the yeah, number yeah exactly. Of cells. So you can start talking about the numbers mm-hmm. and quant- quantity uh, aspects, while in the pancreas it was mm-hmm. just, look, it okay. looks like a cauliflower. Yeah. It's similar. Mm-hmm. But in, in for C. elegans... We talk in the end about three or four cell types, that, that yeah. the stages, right? So why is that a hard problem? Why this is a hard problem? Yeah. Because it's not all about the cell, the, not about the cell type. Mm-hmm. What controls them? What is mm-hmm. the network? This is harder. How the external signal uh, affects mm-hmm. the development, that's a hard problem. Mm-hmm. It's hard to know what happens there. And not all is known. Mm-hmm. Many, many issues there are open. For example, uh, what, what causes cell death? Mm-hmm. Is it autonomous? Is it inner decision? Is there an external signal that kills mm-hmm. them? We know that the, uh, the 30% of the cell do not make it to the end. Mm-hmm. 30%, it's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. It's like third. <laughs> so... Uh, We know that they don't make mm-hmm. it. What what happened? Yeah, but I Why found this interesting, right? You, you, you mentioned this also in your talk that this was if one of the insights that you had. But apoptosis of cells, so the cell death, is is an active process, right? This is really a regulated process. There are 
receptors sitting at the outside of cells that that are directly driving apoptosis. So yeah, but it's not like well, in, in your simulation, you, you were telling us you were inducing cell death, but you're saying okay, if cells pass through this zone, there's a thirty percent chance yeah. they won't come out. That's because apoptosis is very is very active in the adult. In the developing organ, it's less active. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know. Uh, how many cells a human, uh, an adult is is losing mm-hmm. in his lifetime? The embryo keep growing. Mm-hmm. Usually, developing systems has less apoptosis than the adult. So well, they better think, unless they won't develop, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, what I'm just what what I'm trying to get to here is that in the in C. elegans, you would assume that also their apoptosis is actively regulated. For instance, dependent on environmental factors, apoptosis might be more or less. Right, depending on let's say the yeah. stress on the animal. Well, in those elements, you you sort of you are not really including in in, in your simulation. No, we left it out. We okay. just uh, we just flipped a coin at that exactly. stage. Exactly. Yeah, this is an extension to the model. I'm not sure there is enough data mm-hmm. about apoptosis in C. elegans at this stage. I'm not sure about it. I don't want to commit. But if there is, it mm-hmm. can be formulated and added to the model. Okay. I'm still trying to understand how you build and tune these models. So um, in the case of C. elegans, you have a, what you described as a very simple environment with a chemical gradient. And then you have your uh, cell model for your initial stem cell, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, presumably when you set it up has some of the relevant details from the biology, but not all. And then it, I imagine you drive the model, you see what happens, and you see, well, it's not building a worm for me yet. And then you say, okay, what else have, is, what's wrong with this? What can I do different? What, you what, go back what to the library and read much right. more, okay. many more uh, so, papers. So it's yeah. a very iterative process where you, you run models and all the time the models aren't working and gradually they get closer and closer to what you would like to see. Yes. Okay. And at that point you say, well, I think I've got a reasonably good working model of the you know the the, the wild type worm now it, then you go to a different part of the library and say let's look at mutants and say let's see what happens if we now flip the circuit do we get mutants okay. so exactly. so the so the validation stage is, is 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 it's quite a strong one really because i think you already have something that captures the development of the the living natural animal and then you can mutate it in ways that you can be fairly confident match uh, real yeah. mutations. Yeah, but that's that's a very important part of the modeling uh, process. But once yeah. you complete it, this is the really really interesting part. You start to play with it. You mm-hmm. start start to risk it. You can play the crazy scientist. You can okay. do whatever you have in your mind, and then you can get predictions. And some of them are test- testable. And for some of them, you can tell whether they are plausible and where, whether they are testable. Some of them are just crazy enough, too crazy to be tested. This so a, some of the predictions you make from the model turn out to be wrong. Yeah. And, and then... Very often. <laughs> then you go to stage one, go back you to the library. Back. See so so, so the, the methodology doesn't change that much. I guess you get your basic working model. You try it out with some mutants. Some it works with, some it doesn't. You say, well, it didn't work with that mutant. I need to refine the model again. Yes. Yeah. But so no, there's there not a version of models. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All the but time. But, and this is a never-ending process because mm-hmm. data flows in, and uh, as the the data came to your bench, you just need to rethink all the model. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a small paper can change the whole mm-hmm. model. But what I find interesting is that apparently you live in a 
in a field of developmental biology where the literature is pretty clear because apparently you can just go to the library and pick out the papers and get the parameters for your simulation. And in reality, at least the field in which we exist, it's never like that, right? You find the papers, they're contradictory, they're incomplete, you have to meditate on this stuff, they have to talk to the specialists, actually understand what the hell they're writing about, right? So is it really fair to just say, okay, then I go to the library, get the papers, I know my parameters. I, c I cannot no, believe that's, that's how it works. Right. That's not fair exactly. at all. Exactly. So how does you it know, really happen? You know, every three papers are four different options. <laughs> exactly right, yeah. But the modeling approach allows you to change between, uh, between hypotheses mm -hmm. and try to check different cellular mechanisms. So you can play out things. scenarios, yeah. right? That's yeah. the whole point. Right. right. That's exactly. the whole point of modeling in general, I think. But uh, what I agree. What, uh, what the modeling, uh, my modeling or the modeling I presented offer is uh, is kind of a nicer visual way mm -hmm. for developmental uh, developmental systems, in particular at the population level. Mm -hmm. It's not a single pathway that we are testing. It's right. not one cell. It's the whole population, mm -hmm. and it's all uh, the whole population over time and space. Mm -hmm. So we can get a lot of new right. insight and ask them all new, no, but a lot of new so, questions. So that means also the model can summarize a lot of data. It can help you to, to play out different scenarios to see, okay, what if all this missing information would have this characteristic? It On could the also other, highlight what you don't know because it summarizes it. Sure. It, it's but now... In the end, if you want to turn that model into a theory, you must explain something and you must make predictions, yes. right? So at this stage, if we look now at the model of C. elegans, what do you think have you really explained and what is the testable prediction of that? Yeah, we, we explained a lot, of, uh, a lot of the interplay between cell cycle and differentiation. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the insight, uh, insights I presented is that if you change the ratio of cell cycle between the larva and the adult, then you get uh, you get uh, different behaviors, and one of them is that your cell uh, stem cell population gets shorter mm -hmm. or smaller once you reduce it. Mm -hmm. It seems a bit naive and it seems a bit a bit straightforward, but they were the, the scientific community never thought of looking at the consequence of the cell cycle. Mm -hmm. the, yeah, at the larva stage, on the adult stage. So this is kind of question that we can easily answer or ask. Mm -hmm. What happens if you change something at day zero? What happens in day five? Right. And it's not that easy to to test uh, in the mm -hmm. in the lab right. because the you change something and you mm -hmm. need to wait a few days. It's better to have kind of what where to look at. Mm -hmm. Not ex not what the answer is, but where where to look and mm -hmm. search and research, in the in mm -hmm. the system, right? And that mm -hmm. may give us an mm -hmm. answer about it. So then, the last example you you analyzed and presented was neurogenesis, right? The development of the nervous system, and again, you, you roughly took the same modeling framework, the same cell model, but now again changing the states, changing the the expression path or the control pathways. To, to build a, a piece of brain, right? So, so what it's were the insights there? It's a piece of there? brain, mm -hmm. it's a piece of the neurons and uh, the nerve system, because what mm -hmm. you see there is just mm -hmm. uh, what will be later, the nerves. Mm -hmm. no, so so what, what did you exactly learn from that exercise? What did you find? 
Well, the, uh, well, before we go there, can we, uh, in terms of actually building that model mm -hmm. uh, from the previous two models, were you able to take take little networks of of the blocks from within those models and use them again? Because, you know, we're interested this week in in how uh, evolution has reused some basic processes, perhaps in very different ways, you know, sort of regulatory dream networks that might be involved in body patterning and invertebrate reused again in building bits of brain. And I wonder if, you know, there, there are examples of that in your work that you can say there was a network in one part of my cell and I was just able to use it in the pancreas, in the uh, C. elegans and in the mouse brain. Yeah. Uh, for, first, I'd like to show uh, to give you some statistics that may explain okay. it. The, the first model, the pancreas, it took five years to develop. The second, the second, pancreas, uh, the second model, the C. elegans, it took two years. And the model of the of the brain of the neural neuronal migration took three months, so we short the time of developing the the model itself. The analysis keeps taking long time, and looking for the prediction is is a is a long long period. But to develop, since we have the, a good view of what the modeling framework and the approach is, it takes less time to to develop the model. So uh, the basic concept and the basic approach, as, as, as time goes, as the research continues, it takes, it's much easier to implement it. And this concept of autonomous agent and the concept of having this sensor unit and the internal switch unit and the differentiation and proliferation are being controlled by these two components seems, seems to work. So this seems like a general concept. In, in developmental biology. I'm very, very careful here because I don't want to claim, hey, I have the holy grail, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm having the, the way to model, but it seems very beneficial. We, have a, we are encouraged by the results. Mm -hmm. we don't, it doesn't mean we hit the jackpot. You know, it's kind of, we still have to, we still have to, to do a lot. But much, what was the benchmark? What was the benchmark in this case? What did you replicate and how accurate was that replication? In the, in the neuronal migration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We replicate the way new, neurons migrate from their birthplace mm -hmm. to the place where they are going to, going to, to become an, part of the nerve system. So it's from the core of the, from the, core of the brain mm -hmm. to the surface. Mm -hmm. and it is guided by fibers, but the gallial fibers and at the first stage, they use the f gallial fi fiber, uh, fiber to, to track the road. Then, they for, uh, then something happened, and they stop, stop following this gallial fi mm -hmm. fiber, moving randomly in space. Then they reattach to the gallial fi fiber and just, and just putting layer on top of the layer of mm -hmm. uh, neurons on the surface of the brain. But now, so so in your sim, so what we're really talking about is also really the migration of cells along these guiding axes of glia, or certain kinds of gradients that might attract them or, or repel them. Um, so that means in in that setup, collisions is an issue, right? That that cells, if these migration patterns get disrupted, cells might not be able to migrate across certain other cell populations it's in all cases they do not uh, they do not migrate one towards the other one across the other they if they see that there is a cell in a neighboring in a neighboring pixel they want to move to it no way but, but, but in reality cells have to go through layers of cells that might have 
uh, embedded themselves earlier, right? Yeah, because you always go to the outside. Yeah, but you need to th- think, um, okay, it's not exactly three-dimensional, not exactly two-dimensional, it's somewhere in the, in the middle. So there is a layer of cells, they climb above it. Mm-hmm. They're creating another, another layer, and they are walking on top of them, and then they will f- place themselves mm-hmm. on the same layer. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of two slices. Mm-hmm. So they go uh, over and, and... No, but what, what I was trying to get Zoltan Molnir was here early this week talking also about development of, of the brain. And, and a typical pattern there is that you have certain subpopulations moving from these neural plates at different points in time and also having to cross through they cross through others, right? and they cross through other populations. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to to ask you about is that I would, my claim would be that with your simulation technique, you cannot handle that because in a, one location in space has just one specific state, mm-hmm. right? You, so, so the, the, the dynamics of let's say migration and possible collision and obstruction and so on is not something that you can capture that way, or is the, would you think that's a too negative interpretation? Well, I think you've just defined a research question. Okay. It's, it's enough Good. to be a PhD thesis. So yeah. This is something to investigate. This so I might have a chance at. to get my PhD done. At my lab, yeah. <laughs> okay. you're, you're accepted. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> so, But you still didn't fully answer my question, and maybe I don't know if it was a bad question, but uh, you, you said that... Um, for the, the brain model, you, you keep the same structure of the previous two models for the cell. But what I was interested in, all, all these cells are doing similar behaviors of differentiating and migrating. Are there some bits of network within the decision-making, different, different decision-making parts of the cell that you could reuse from yeah, the cell the, types? The, the proliferation, the cell right. cycle is, is, defo- is, is uh, the same to all the, all the models. There is the decision about asymmetric and symmetric uh, right. uh, proliferation, mm-hmm. which is different between the between them. But the proliferation component is is the same, and the differentiation component is very similar. So this is exciting in terms of uh, when we think about evolution, and we think, well, brain brain neurons are very different from C. elegans neurons, but actually they, they share a lot of the same chemical machinery for doing what they do and you have to change the specificities of what they're doing, but same networks can mm-hmm. work internally. Yeah, I think this is the discussion that we had at the end of the talk, that right. you think uh, that you're surprised that uh, the biology has simple uh, building blocks, <laughs> and I see it as the, as the reality. It's kind of, yeah, it's surprising that, uh, that the biology is, uh, is c- queries uh, simple building blocks, but I think this is the way it is. I don't think it is as cl- now, complicated wait. as we'd like to. Not wanting to agree with either of you, um, I could argue, wait, you guys are both deeply confused because... We're scientists, <laughs> of course we're deeply confused. <laughs> so, right, so, so, but the point is that in your case, what carried over between these phenomena was a, a modeling strategy, an algorithm, if you want. But that technology as such doesn't tell you much about guiding principles because as you said yourself, you don't have all these principles um, explicitly defined. Mm-hmm. And in, Tony is seeking, let's say, common principles across all these different things. Like the way you would grow an organ, a pancreas would would include principles that you could carry over to having a sausage, a C. elegant sausage machine. But or I think we said that there were some uh, intrinsic... Uh, cellular networks that you could copy whole chunks of the network in 
across from these two different cell types. If, if you prefer to think species. of it as a mechanism of tears, mm -hmm. that this is a motif mm -hmm. of a mechanism of mm -hmm. a cell, this is another, mm -hmm. another way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Because okay, but then then we have to. If you gentlemen are so optimistic about this, you must declare for me. We're scientists. Right we here, must be optimistic. Right here <laughs> and right now, what the common principles are between pancreas, C. elegans, and this piece of brain. So they both have proliferation, differentiation. Okay. They both have a kind of component of uh, external sensor mm -hmm. recognition or signaling. And they both have kind of internal, inner cellular decision. Mm -hmm. And the decision of the mechanism must be de defined by all the three components. Right. Mm -hmm. okay? It will be wrong to say that the environment and the extracellular signaling is not important. And it will be even uh, more wrong to say that the internal genes... Is, is is not effective mm -hmm. and it will be wrong to say that this cell has no proliferation or no mm -hmm. differentiation so this is necessary components for all the three elements maybe with whenever whatever it is mm -hmm. whether it is the pancreas in mice or the c elegans mm -hmm. uh, germline development or the neural yeah but the, the risk is of course that you say look uh, e coli can have flagella and it can uh, sort of uh, fl flop yes, around they, it's a gradient and humans walk and they share common principles because they navigate. So, so the point here is that, Fritz, I could argue that in case of the pancreas and the brain, we might have all sort of regulatory genes that really tightly orchestrate this process, while the same might not hold for the complete pathway of the C. elegans or the trajectory that cells go through in C. elegans. You will not have single regulatory genes guiding and orchestrating that process. Well, it's never sing single gene. It's kind of combination of many genes. So it's between one and many. But with the, with the bacteria, they call it flagella. It's, it's kind of, it's a different system. It's not developing. It's hardly proliferating. Okay, if you I'll, want to see yeah. it, I, was, I meant something else with this. It was like seeing seeing a similarity between the flagella of E. coli in oh, our yeah. legs because they're both used for navigation and mm -hmm. say, ah, we have a. This is now possible to have a common principle. Maybe they are. Why oh. do you rule it out? <laughs> no, but but it I mean, seems a long shot though. So the. So those abilities are probably in our genome. They're just not expressed. And I think what you're saying is it's not surprising because we're all uh, descended from a common ancestor uh, uh, and C. elegans and our, the mouse and ourselves. In that common ancestor, mm -hmm. uh, there were stem cells. They migrated. They mm -hmm. built complex bodies. And so what more do you need than the, the, those mm -hmm. mechanisms? So, right. so most of it's already going to be there. And uh, you, you say you're not surprised. I'm a little bit surprised because I think that maybe in rodent brains, there's more that stem cells do. But um, mm -hmm. for you, that's not a qualitative shift in what they do. It's just a bit more richness, perhaps. Yeah, it's more richness. I don't think it's more complex. Yeah. It's kind of so look, now that you gentlemen refuse to see the light, I'm shining <laughs> on this issue. Maybe we should get to the finish line. And the question there is, so Yaki actually also shared with us, it's actually interesting, the, the community of people doing your kind of work, like modeling these developmental problems, is actually rather small. It's very small. Yeah. yeah. So you're sort of chipping away at this, making progress. Um, so, but, but in that sense, given what you've seen and learned in in this sort of as a solo agent in this <laughs> this field of developmental biology, what would be Yaki's law that we should adhere to in trying to understand the developing biological system? Well, keep it dynamic. Mm -hmm. Look at the dynamics. Okay. I think that is the most important. I think many people in this field fail 
to look at, to think dynamic, to think that uh, an event now mm -hmm. has effect in the future mm -hmm. of the animal. And if you look at that, you'll find an all new world of results. Mm -hmm. That would be my law. Okay. Now, Tony likes traveling, and um, so I ship him around so the world. So when are you coming to Israel? Exactly. <laughs> this, I'm going to tell you that. I can tell you this exactly. Four years from now, he's going to come to Israel, and he's going to check you. He's going to meet you, meet up with you, and he's going to check a prediction you're going to make today. Tony's going to ask you, look, four years ago, you made a specific prediction that you would observe X in your simulation, and today I want to know, four years in the future from now, whether this was validated. So what's the one prediction you're gonna you're gonna make for us today that you will see tested by then? Yeah, well I'll I'll give a different kind of prediction. I'll predict that more people will do my kind of modeling. <laughs> Come on, you can do better than that. It has to be no, about no, different I, I, biology. No no I, uh, different biology. Okay, so I predict that more people in development biology will do. No, I really think that what I'd like to see is not prediction that I'm prediction in the lab that I've predicted and was was accurate. I would love to see it comes out of the model, but I would love more to see people doing my kind of science. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the in the long long mm -hmm. run there will be a model of a human being mm -hmm. that we can play before we go do anything so okay that can be uh, something Th mm -hmm. this would be my vision I, mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not into looking into a particular prediction that will mm -hmm. be validated all right jackie Setti, thank you very much for this conversation you're thank welcome and tony you're a bastard you're, you're supposed to make it difficult for him <laughs> and you're not supposed to agree the with csn him. podcast okay. was produced by the convergent science <laughs> network of biomedics and biohybrid systems project funded by the European 7th Research Framework Program. For more interviews, recorded lectures, or upcoming conferences in the field of biomimetics and biohybrid systems, go to csnnetwork.eu. And thank you for listening.